Good morning. Well, it's good to be back from Israel. We had a great time. We had 50 people from the church go on our tour of Israel. We had a good time because we had a lot of hummus. So you could have had a good time. You could have found some hummus to eat as well and had a great time. Hopefully you can join us the next time we go. But I'm not going to show any photos or tell any stories because I've learned one important fact in life. You don't steal the thunder from a mother. All right, this is their day. And so... Happy Mother's Day. I'm so thankful for my mom watching in New Jersey. I'm so thankful for my beautiful wife, uh, mother of my three children. And I don't know what was going on in my mind when I said this out loud, some things you're not supposed to say out loud, but I remember telling Shannon one day, you know, being a mother is easy. <laughs> to which she replied, if being a mother were easy, then fathers would be doing it. Ah. <laughs> Right. She was right. It's not easy. I regret saying that out loud. Listen, moms literally give life to other people and then yet can feel drained of life by those same people that they gave life to, right? I know today is a great day to celebrate, but it's also a day to remember that there's a lot of pain associated with Mother's Day. I remember feeling this pain with Shannon when we had some miscarriages. We're feeling the, the pain right now, to be honest, today of thinking of Shannon's sister passing and a little six-year-old without a, a mom or dad right now. Shannon's our niece. And so it's a, it's a day that has both celebration and pain. And today we're going to talk about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, who desperately wanted to be a mother. As we start this new series going through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel that we're calling Rise and Fall, we're going to be talking about, about leaders rising up in, in their power and then making these mistakes and falling down and the nation rising and falling with it. But it all starts with a lady who desperately just wanted to be a mother. And as we look at this story we have to remember that Hannah's name means favor and grace. But as we read this story, it doesn't seem like her life reflects that name at all. Here's what I mean by that. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Elkanah had two wives. That's the first problem. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he'd give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And so the sad truth is that our lives are full of problems and Hannah's life is a mess I mean, she is struggling. There's not a lot of wins in her life that are going on right now. Her struggles included family division because her husband married two wives. <laughs> not a good plan. Listen, Elkanah probably married Hannah first, and when she was barren, he, he felt like, well, I have to continue on my family name. And so he acquired a, another wife, and it just led to pain and heartache for both of them. 
And, and whenever we see uh, multiple wives in the scriptures, it is not God's design that he put forth in Genesis. And God clearly tells us in the New Testament that this is sin. And it always has consequences in the Old Testament of competition and jealousy. And it's a disaster when man comes up with these bright ideas. So there's family division. But Haran was also experiencing being barren, infertility. It says the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. You know, the World Health Organization says that worldwide, this is just updated a statistic from last year, worldwide, one in six people uh, suffer from infertility. One in six people. And the, the, the percentages aren't that much different from worldwide to America. And so she desperately wants to have a child and she just can't. It's just not happening. The, the World Health Organization says that 30 to 50% of the time, it's the man that is responsible for the infertility. Think of the pain of this lady who just wants to be a mom. Such a good and beautiful desire that she has and can't achieve. Another problem we see with her is, is that she has enemies, right? This other wife, Penina, it says her rival was provoking her in order to irritate her. What, what a rotten thing is happening because of this extra marriage that's there. She's got an enemy. This lady is just continuing to rub it in her face and saying, you can't provide your husband with a child and I've given him multiple ones. We see also in verse 7 that this went on year after year. So she has chronic pain, repetitive pain, seemingly no hope. Sometimes problems arise and disappear within a week, sometimes within a few months, and sometimes in life we realize this problem is here to stay. And that could be discouraging. That could remove hope from our lives. And to top it all off, we see that she has an insensitive husband, his solution to all of her crying and her desires going unmet is, why are you crying? Why are you crying, woman? What's the big deal? What's going on? Why, why, I'm worth 10 sons to you. What an insensitive man who can't seem to understand that he can't help her fulfill this desire. Insensitivity she's dealing with. Hannah's situation is a mess, and to be honest, it doesn't look like it's gonna get any better. She just has to live with this. So the question we ask ourselves when we read something like this or when we go through our own pain is, is life just left to luckiness, whether or not we have a good life or not? Is it just luck? Is it just, well, sorry, you, that's not the hand of cards you've been dealt? For Hannah, even hard work and good decisions wouldn't help her. She needed an act of God to help her. When people are in such a hopeless situation, it can very often drive them farther and farther into darkness and despair and farther and farther away from the Lord if they're not careful. So in which direction is this pain going to push Hannah? And when we look at our own painful situations, our obstacles in life, our disappointments, we have to ask the question, is this difficulty we're going through straining our relationship with God or surprisingly strengthening our relationship with God. Hannah had to wrestle with a few things here, especially the pain and confusion of knowing God is good, but I'm just in a bad situation and trying to reconcile those two things. We see in verse 10, it says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And so Hannah's reality led to despair, darkness, to bitter weeping. 
It's just, a, just how we would all react in a situation like that. Natural emotions for such despair. But there was another reality for Hannah that she realized that there was a God who loved her. And so she chose to believe in that God and go to him in prayer, tears and all. She brought all of that emotion, all of that pain to God directly. She wasn't going to let this difficulty cause her to abandon her faith. She had to get even closer to the Lord to survive this. And a miracle starts to happen when she prays. It's not the miracle she wants, but it's a miracle nonetheless. She needs this. In verse 11, it says, and she made a vow to the Lord saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. As Hannah is praying, she actually has a moment of clarity. She's realizing that her desire for a son was actually becoming too important to her so important that it was clouding out her relationship with God and was actually becoming a form of idolatry. It's a, it was a good and noble desire that she had, but she was obsessing over it, so now she's missing out on all of God's goodness that he was trying to show her and just saying this one thing is what life hinges on. Now, idolatry in, in Bible times often was actually worshiping a false god, a pagan god in, in those altars. And, and so in, in modern day, what does it mean? Well, there's a great book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller that helps us modernize this idea. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and so essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. This is how Hannah is feeling in her bitterness, but as she prays, something starts to change. She realizes even this good desire is interfering with my relationship with God. He goes on to say, anything can serve as a counterfeit God, as an idol, especially the very best things in life. And that's what was happening to Hannah, but God was showing this to her. She was recognizing that her emotions, although raw and real, weren't representing the goodness of God. And so she begins to destroy her idol by giving her desire to have a son, the death blow, by committing to God, saying, God, listen to this, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I will dedicate him to serve at the tabernacle away from me just to show that my priorities are right, that I am prioritizing your will, not my will. This is a miracle because her heart is changing. She's hearing God's voice and he is healing her heart. And, and, and big changes are happening. And she's receiving ultimately a spiritual blessing instead of the physical blessing she wanted. And we have to ask, are we okay with spiritual blessings when God uses a difficulty in our life to change our character? That's a beautiful thing, a big thing, but it's not what we're asking him for. We have to be okay with the spiritual blessings God is giving us when we're asking for the physical. Now, this is an amazing work God is doing in her heart, but the worst part of all this is that while Hannah is seeking the Lord in her time of need, the religious leaders did more harm than good to her. Look at verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli, this is the high priest, he thought she was drunk. 
And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So she's mortified at this point. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman, for I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. The high priest is a little embarrassed that he prejudged without asking any questions. And so Eli answered, uh, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. In her purest moment, she's accused of being a drunk. Everything in her says, run away from God, give up on God. And she goes, no, I'm going to pray. And then the high priest himself, literally the most important spiritual leader in Israel, is like, you drunk. She's like, I give up. <laughs> I give up. Even when I'm trying my best, I, I have rivals and enemies everywhere. But somehow she gets past this offense from a flawed religious leader and she even receives his words as if they were from God. And she has hope. She, the high priest just interceded on my behalf. Maybe he felt bad by calling me a drunk, but, but he just talked to God and said, may God grant you what you requested. Not many people get the high priest bringing their prayer before God. So she leaves. She eats the food that was set out that she was resisting before. And she is no longer downcast, it says in verse 18. Hannah worshiped God in faith before anything changed in her situation. That's amazing. It's amazing what Hannah does in this moment where most would turn away and say, forget church, right? Forget that pastor. Forget that Christian who's a hypocrite. She says, no, the truth of God, the promises of God still matter when humans get in the way. So finally, there's a positive turn of events. Look at verse 19. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah. Real mature. You're a bunch of middle schoolers. Okay, knock it off. Oh my goodness. That is ridiculous. I cannot believe, I'm so sorry. I cannot believe they would do that. It's a very normal topic to talk about. Cannot believe they did that. There's definitely no way that I was in the Holy Land of Israel, all of a sudden on the Temple Mount, got an idea about playing a Marvin Gaye song during this verse. That's not plausible either, so we must blame the production team. It was definitely, most likely, maybe not your pastor. Wow. Well, we have to keep reading the verse. Excuse me, no more audio. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And so there's this amazing uh, blessing. It's exactly what she wanted, but she had to wait for it. Look, it says, in the course of time. Hannah became pregnant. We don't know if she, she got home and immediately became pregnant. It may be saying that. It might just be talking about the nine months. Or she may have had to wait months and months and months before she realized that she was pregnant. The promises of God can take time, require patience and endurance, and we must not lose hope. And that's what she does. But now we have to ask ourselves, is she going to honor her word like, now that she finally has a child, is she really going to give that child back to God to serve at their tabernacle? Well, let's see. In verse 21, it says, When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. 
She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I'll take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After she weaned him, she took the boy with her, young as he was, brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked, so I now give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Well, there's definitely a delay before she obeys, but I don't think she had the wrong motives. This seems like an appropriate delay where she's like, I'm not giving this baby to work in the temple. What good is this child going to be? So she weans the child in their culture that could be two to three years old, and then she brings him up. Now, there's a, there's a verse we're not going to read, verse 11 of chapter 2. When all of this is over, it says, Elkanah went home to Ramah. It doesn't say that Hannah went home to Ramah. So she might have stayed there with him for months and years until he was at an appropriate age to serve the Lord at the tabernacle. And then, yes, she would only see him once a year after that, which must have been difficult. Hannah delays, but she did the impossible and she gave her child back to the Lord. How could a mother do this, we think? Well, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, vows were required to be fulfilled. We speak so casually sometimes here and change our mind, even though Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. But in the Old Testament, when you made a vow, you did better fulfill it before the Lord. It was important, the words that we have. Also, maybe she was realizing a parent should rejoice that their children would grow up and desire to follow after the Lord and serve the Lord. And she was guaranteed that Samuel was going to do this. But, but mainly, she never would have had this child if God didn't graciously gift him to her. And so she realizes something that we should all realize is that a child is a gift and not something or someone that we can control and say that we brought about, but a gift from the Lord himself. And so her act of obedience in bringing Samuel back to the tabernacle to serve, it, it, it overflows with a prophetic prayer that reaches into the generations what she's saying about the future. And it tells us what the Lord wants us to focus on as we think about the story of Hannah in her desperation to have a child. And it's this, that God allows both good and bad to happen to us. He, he allows that. But he does that for his purposes to be accomplished in our life, in our character, and in his kingdom. And it's mysterious. Why doesn't God just allow good? Well, that's going to be heaven. In heaven, there's no sin. There's no pain. God will wipe away every tear. But here on earth, there is still pain. There's still difficulty. There's still sin. But God is going to multitask in a sovereign, providential way to accomplish his purposes. And so Hannah's going to pray in chapter 2. She says, it says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices. This is the moment she's leaving Samuel to serve at the tabernacle. She could still say, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn, which just means my strength, is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And listen to this, the end of verse 9. 
It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And listen, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah would go on and we'll read that to have five other children the Lord was going to bless her with. But this was still a difficult moment. But this prayer is prophetic. It's speaking of the future. It's speaking of what we should learn from this moment. This prayer represents her spiritual growth and her journey that she is realizing she can have a full confidence in the sovereignty of God, that God is good and providential, and that is still true even when situations are bad. And so verse 9 really is the emphasis of this passage where it says, it is not by strength that one prevails. It's not about how healthy you are, how strong you are, how much money you have, how successful you are. You know, the job that you have, the, the position you have at work, it's not about those things. If you don't have those things, if you feel weak and you feel poor and you feel like you don't have enough, it's not by strength that one prevails. We see this all throughout the Bible. If you fast forward in history from this moment to when not only the tabernacle but the temple is built and kings and kings live, eventually Israel sins so much that they are exiled to Babylon. Babylon destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and Israel is just in slavery in Babylon. And as God is finally releasing them from that and bringing back leaders to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, there's a leader named Zerubbabel that shows up in the broken down city and and he's feeling weak and worthless and not up to the job. And the prophet says this to him, Zechariah 4, 6, in that moment of weakness, he says, remember, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God himself will accomplish his intended purposes. It doesn't mean we don't partner with God. It doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. But God is not limited by our weakness, by the difficulty of our situation, and by our mess. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. God is more powerful than our trials, our difficulties. God is more powerful than our enemy, even if our enemy doesn't know it. And he's more powerful than our strength and doesn't even need it. In fact, he can get in the way of us being used by God when we're built up in pride instead of walking in humility. It is not by strength strength that one prevails. We also see in verse 10, Hannah prays, he will give strength to his king. Now, what's unique about her saying this is there was no king in Israel at the time. Samuel, her son, would be the last judge of the period of the judges, and he would anoint King Saul and and David, the the future kings. But at this moment, there's not even a murmuring and a desire for a king. So what is Hannah talking about here? Well, it seems that she's talking about King Jesus. She's speaking into the future saying, God will give strength to the king, to Jesus. And you wonder, why does Jesus need strength? Well, think about the moment before Jesus died on the cross when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's there praying by himself and saying, Father, is there any other way we can save the whole world without me being nailed to a cross? Are there other options? We're pretty smart. Is there another plan? But not my will, but your will be done. And the father gave his son strength to walk towards the cross in his humanity. 
And so the same strength that God gave Hannah to endure and have patience during her mess is the same strength the father would give his son, Jesus. And the same strength that God gave Jesus is the same strength he wants to give you. But it will be a spiritual strength, not a physical strength. God is going to give you the spiritual strength to endure, to be patient, and to not give up, to have hope, even though there's a mess around you. And verse 10 finally says this, and exalt the horn of his anointed, the strength of his anointed. And what's unique about this passage is we read the word anointed, but in the Hebrew, that word means Messiah. And it is the first time in the Bible the word Messiah is used. The term that Hannah prays prophetically is adopted by King David himself, Isaiah, Daniel, the prophets, and even the New Testament writers they pick up on this word and begin to use it to describe Jesus, the hope of Israel. Hannah and her mess is the first to point towards the Messiah using that word. The father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, he he would quote the prayer of Hannah when speaking about the Messiah. Mary, the mother of Jesus, would quote in the book of Luke the prayer of Hannah to prophesy about her own son, What we learn from this is out of Hannah's mess, we are pointed to the Messiah. The least likely outcome of her situation, that somehow this rivalry with this other person, her desperation to be a mom, her barrenness, that somehow all of this would would overflow and the Spirit of God would cause her to prophesy and point forward to Jesus is the hope all of us have. That as we look at our lives and say, it's a mess, it's a problem, I'm not winning, that somehow our response by God's Spirit can point people to Jesus. And they can say, how are you even okay? How can you honestly believe, do not worry when you're in that situation? And we point forward to Jesus. All of this shows us that God not only works in spite of our messes, God actually uses our mess to accomplish his purposes. This is why, as you look at your family's struggles, and we want to be on the other side of those struggles, and maybe we will be one day, we need to realize that God is going to use those very struggles, that very mess, to change our hearts, prepare us for eternity, and to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this region of the world for his kingdom. He's going to use our messes. And this is, this is going to be different for all of us, right? Our difficulties and trials will not be exactly the same as Hannah, although for some it it may be. But the outcome of our trial is also going to be different from Hannah's. It's not gonna look the same. There's no formula here. But our hearts of faith, believing that God is still good, even when we're in a mess, that can be the same. We can look to Hannah and say, God gave her strength The the rival thought she had all the strength, but God gave Hannah strength to endure. And so what do we do as we look at this passage in our lives? Well, all of us can identify a mess, a struggle, a difficulty that we think, I can't even think about this because it's so bad. And how do we live out this truth? Well, this week, I would encourage you, every single day this week, schedule a time in your calendar to do what Hannah did, to pour out your soul before the Lord in prayer? What if for the next seven days, an alarm went off on our phone that simply said, pour out your soul, pray to God, and we bring that one thing where we feel hopeless, that chronic pain, 
right, where it just seems like it's always going to be like this, and we say, no, by faith, I'm going to believe in God, that while the situation may remain the same, God's going to work in my heart. God's going to work in other people's hearts. God is not limited by my strength and the messiness of my situation, because he is God. And so, Father, would you give us the reminder, the strength, the heart to schedule this time of prayer this week, that each day we would look to you in faith, reminding ourselves you're good, even though my situation is bad, and you are powerful, even though my situation feels powerful. You can overcome. It is not by strength that one prevails, but by the Spirit of the Lord, the same strength that you gave to Jesus to endure the cross, you desire to give to your servants today. And may our lives reflect the Savior like Hannah was able to point to him, Lord. We want our response to our mess to also point to a God who is good. So meet us in these sweet times of prayer this week and grow our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, listen, today we want to celebrate not just moms, but all the ladies that are here, no matter how old or young that you are on your way out, we've got a sweet piece of chocolate that we want to give you. And so whether you're a mom or not, we just thank you for being a lady here at Cornerstone and hope that you have a blessed day. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.